Oh, come on now, said Jamie McCrimmon. How can I be a thousand years old? The doctor grinned impishly. He was a small, scruffy man, a, a mop of dark hair over a lined, expressive face. His battered old tailcoat was slightly too big for him, and his bow tie was attached with a safety pin. Yet, as he looked up from the controls of the TARDIS to answer his young friend, his eyes glittered with intelligence. And mischief. All right, Jamie, how old do you think you are? Uh, now, hey, um, let's see, I'm, uh, I, uh... But Jamie didn't know. He'd been 22 when he first met the Doctor in the Highlands of Scotland, and that had been, what, two or three years ago? Oh, oh I, I see, it's a trick. That's the thing with travelling in the TARDIS. You lose track of time. Isn't that right, Zoe? Zoe had recently joined them in their adventures. She was a pretty, fiercely intelligent girl from the 21st century. Or, as Jamie thought of it, the far future. Well, time is relative, said Zoe. Jamie didn't know what that meant. He hardly ever knew what Zoe was talking about. It was all maths and computers. But she nodded her head as she said it, so he turned back to the doctor. Right you are, then. Relative. It stands to reason. The doctor rubbed his hands together thoughtfully. Yes, it's, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Uh, where you are and how fast you're moving. Jamie glanced at the TARDIS controls. Hey, but the TARDIS isn't he moving? Ah, yes, well, <clears throat> we've stopped, haven't we? Uh, we're somewhere deep in space. Uh, but look at this. Come on. Jamie moved round the console to join the Doctor. A new device had been fitted to the TARDIS controls, using string and a bulldog clip. It was an oblong box with three winking lights and a small screen. Jamie read the numbers on the display. Two, seven, two, four. That, that, that's the year, Jamie. Which means... Jamie stared at the doctor. Then he looked again at the numbers. I'm a thousand years old. Zoe sighed. If that thing really works, she said. The doctor looked mortified. Of course it works. I, I, I made it myself. Zoe rolled her eyes and Jamie laughed. I, I remember the last time you tried to mend the TARDIS. There was an almighty explosion. Yes, well, that was hardly my fault. Well, <clears throat> maybe it it was my fault, but it was, it was a mistake anyone could make. Well, so long as this new gadget hasn't put us in danger. <laughs> Perfectly safe, Jamie. Nothing can... Oh, oh! The TARDIS bucked and tumbled, throwing Jamie and Zoe to the floor. What is it, Doctor? What have you done? The Doctor struggled with the controls, but his face was grim. Whatever it is, the controls won't respond. There's nothing I can do! Ah! 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 Doctor Who, Shadow of Death, performed by Fraser Hines with Evie Dorney as Sophie. The Doctor emerged from the TARDIS, looking nervously around to see where they had landed. Then he smiled. I told you, didn't I? We're perfectly safe. Jamie and Zoe followed him out. The TARDIS stood blocking one end of a short passageway. At the other end of the passage was a sturdy metal door. There were no windows, and the only light came from thin strips in the walls. Go on, then. Where are we? I, I told you, Jamie. Safe. Huh. No thanks to you. Why can't you leave the TARDIS alone? 
What? That, that, that was me. Something smashed into the TARDIS. Something with incredible force. And then it, it did it again. If it wasn't for me, who, who knows what might have happened. I found somewhere near to put us down. Zoe looked concerned. But Doctor, she said, what would have the power to knock the TARDIS off course? I, I don't know, Zoe. Uh, something big and apparently not so friendly. But you said you landed somewhere near. It could be right here. They looked nervously around them. Yes, I, I didn't have much choice where we landed. We'll just have to be careful. Now, shh. They listened for any sound. It was eerily quiet in the passageway after all the noise in the TARDIS. It made Jamie's ears ring. Oh, there's something wailing in my head. Zoe nodded. It's the pressure, she said. We must be somewhere deep, Doctor. Could this be a submarine? I, I don't know, Zoe. I, I just have to explore and find out. He made for the heavy door at the end of the passageway and tried to push down the handle, but it wouldn't turn. Here, let me. Still, the handle wouldn't turn. Jamie used both hands, pushing down with all his might, but it wouldn't budge. He stepped back crossly, and Zoe reached forward and gently lifted the handle. Ah, oh, very clever. Thank you, Jamie, she beamed, and led them through the door. They were in another passageway, with an identical bulky door at the far end. Jamie and the Doctor both quickly glanced backwards. Yes, it was exactly the same as the passage they'd just come from. The only difference was the reassuring shape of the TARDIS in the section behind them. Oh, you could easily get lost in here. Yes, they're, they're just being careful. These doors protect the rest of wherever we are if there's a flood or, or something like that. So when you said we were safe, yes, I'm sure we're well protected. It looks uh, nice and sturdy. For emphasis, he slapped his hand against the metal wall. Oh, oof! And then, with a pained expression on his face, tucked his saw hand under his armpit. Yeah, yes, you see, sturdy. So nothing to worry about. In fact, we are... Oh, oh. The whole passageway shook. They fell hard onto the metal floor. Oh. Around them, the metal walls protested, and Jamie saw one whole section twist. And it was over. The floor and walls were still, and the only sound was the ringing in Jamie's ears. The doctor looked over his friends. Everyone all right? Good. What did I say? These walls are pretty sturdy. Again, he slapped the wall beside him. Ah! Again, he withdrew his hand in pain. Zoe got to her feet. It was an earthquake, she said. Or oh, was it the same thing that hit the TARDIS? You said something big and not friendly. It must have followed us, said Zoe. But the doctor shook his head. Something with enough power to throw the TARDIS off course could have torn through these walls easily. No, no, it must be something else. Hmm, we'd better find out what. It, now, doctor, if this thing's as strong as you say it is, what chance have we got against it? And if it is an earthquake, aren't we better off getting back to the TARDIS? But the doctor was already at the handle of the next door, ready to explore further. He looked a little embarrassed, but his eyes also glittered with excitement at the chance to solve the mystery. Uh, yes, that, that thing could have smashed the TARDIS, Jamie, and it's still out there, somewhere near, so we wouldn't get past it. And, um, we can't go anywhere until we know what's going on. Uh, you're not scared, are you? Hey, of course not. Uh, well, well then. He gallantly stepped aside to let Zoe go first. Jamie hurried to catch them up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying we should find out quickly. But the doctor and Zoe didn't answer. 
Jamie followed them through the door and found himself in a long, wide space. Plastic tables and chairs arranged in front of a huge, curved window stretching down one side of the room. The Doctor and Zoe stared open-mouthed at the extraordinary view. They looked out on a rocky, arid world. It reminded Jamie of when he'd walked on the moon. But the real wonder was the sky. It was an amazing light show, the sky lit up by flowing magnetic lines radiating out from a tiny speck of a star that pulsed with incredible light. It's a pulsar. We're orbiting a pulsar. Jamie nodded seriously, then turned to Zoe. She sighed. A pulsar, she said, is a star that exploded. It's a stellar core. That one might be smaller than a city, but it's got five times the mass of Earth's sun. Yes, size isn't everything, Zoe. And that explains what hit the TARDIS. A pulsar spins round very fast while its poles emit a beam of powerful energy. The TARDIS must have been hit by the beams. Hey, but you said we were hit twice. Zoe tutted. Yes, Jamie, the pulsar is spinning, so the beams of energy sweep round like the light from a lighthouse. It spun round and hit us, then spun round again. Ah, aye, all right. Uh, but it's not what caused the earthquake. No, I, I don't think it can be. Uh, Zoe's right. Uh, those beams would rip through this place. Uh, the planet must orbit at a right angle to the beams. Uh, that's why it doesn't get hit. But a pulsar exerts a, an incredible gravitational force, uh, so the planet is under all sorts of pressure. Uh, if it's so bad, why would anyone come here? I mean, whoever built this place? Zoe looked horrified. Why to study it? To learn and understand. Ah, sure, but if it's so dangerous. Yes, I, I don't think they could resist because of what else they found here. Look! He pointed off across the arid surface of the planet. The sky was so bright and strange, it took a moment for Jamie to see what the doctor meant. It was difficult to judge distance on an alien world with no atmosphere, but about half a mile away, something caught the light. The pulsating lines in the sky were reflected by smooth surfaces. The remains of tall towers and spires. Jamie's eyes slowly adjusted as he looked out on the ruin of a city. A little way in front of the buildings stood the statues of five bulky humanoid figures. The statues wore spacesuits and had been posed in the moment of taking a photograph of something on the ground. The statue's camera had a real flash in it, a spark of searing light that helped Jamie pick out the shape of the figures. It was an eerie memorial these tiny figures ignoring the incredible sky. Yes, an ancient city on, on a planet orbiting a pulsar. It's, it's almost ridiculous. That's why your people had to come here. Jamie and Zoe looked around. Our people? Well, yes, this room, the, the passageways. I've seen them before. They're mass-produced, pre-fabricated units. Ideal for putting up quickly on a new alien world. I knew a pilot who shipped them all through the solar system. This one has come a, a bit further. But I bet my hat this is our base for Earth people to work and study that city. You're not wearing a hat. The doctor reached a hand up to the top of his head to check and for a moment looked crestfallen. Yes, well, <clears throat> even so, I, I expect the base has been modified to, to counter the gravitational effects of the pulsar. Ah, yes, but that explains it. <laughs> These earthquakes could be the result of tidal heating. The gravity of the pulsar squeezing the planet so hard it, it melts the rock. Hmm. And there'll be temporal distortions. Uh, aye, aye, okay. You're saying this base is made to stand all that? Yes, exactly, Jamie. I, I keep telling you. We're safe. I wouldn't count on that. They turned from the window. 
A tall, striking woman in a spacesuit pointed a laser gun at them. Jamie had seen suits of the kind she was wearing before. A thick, padded garment with a wide neck onto which could be fitted a space helmet. Sewn onto the breast of the spacesuit was the woman's name, Topolovic. The gun was attached by a cable to her belt. The doctor, Jamie and Zoe, raised their hands. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, you're probably a bit surprised to find us here. Not really. I've been looking for you. Oh. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, hello. <clears throat> I, I'm the doctor. Uh, these are my friends, Jamie and Zoe. Keep your hands where I can see them, or I'll shoot you. What, and uh, risk breaking this window? <laughs> I, I don't think so. The gun shoots back us waterman energy, which only harms living tissue. Ah, yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's no need for that. Um, we're happy to uh, cooperate, Miss... Uh... Doctor. What? My name, Dr. Topolovic. And the badge on your spacesuit says you're part of the Fifth Galactic Surveyor Corps. Topolovic didn't answer. She seemed to be listening to something only she could hear. Jamie turned to the doctor to ask, but the doctor quickly shook his head, not wanting the woman to shoot them. A door opened, and three men in similar spacesuits ran in, carrying the same kind of guns, cables reaching to their belts. They lined up beside Topolovic, facing the doctor and his friends. The names on their suits were Callahan, Miles and Goff. Ah, now hello gentlemen, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's nice to meet you. I, I was just saying to your friend here, Dr. Topolovic... Quiet! She explained to the others that she'd found them discussing the quakes. The men nodded. Goff, a tall black man with a beard, called Topolovic Sophie. He said it only confirmed what they had feared. Now, I see how this looks, but I can assure you, we have nothing to do with the earthquakes. Goff ignored him and raised his gun. Oh, oh dear. Oh, crumbs. Jamie reached for Zoe's hand. We need to know what they did. Goff. Goff looked like he might ignore it too. Then he lowered the gun. Thank you, miss. I mean, doctor. Uh, no, no, not you, doctor. Her. Quiet. We'll put them in the containment room. They can't do any harm there. Sophie Topolovic motioned with her gun, and the doctor, Jamie and Zoe, made their way through the bulky door that Sophie and her colleagues had come through. They passed into another short section of passageway, just like the ones they'd been in before. Another bulky door blocked their way. Hold on. I'll do it. I want you where I can see you. With the gun still in her hand, she squeezed past the doctor, Jamie and Zoe, to get to the door. Woodbridge was a good officer. You'll pay for what you did. The doctor started to protest, but she silenced him with a look. She reached the door and made sure her colleagues were covering the prisoners with their guns before she lifted the handle. Sophie stepped through. Then, gun raised beckoned the doctor and his friends to follow her. Jamie made to go first. Oh, after you, Zoe. Oh, oh, aye. Ladies first. He stepped back to let Zoe go ahead of him, then bowed to the doctor, letting him pass too. Oh, oh thank you, Jamie. Uh, hmm. Yes, well, uh, this is all very nice. Uh, it's some sort of a control room, isn't it? Jamie, still in the passageway, glanced back to the three men behind him, their guns raised towards him. Uh, after you? Uh... All right, if you insist. He was about to step through the doorway when suddenly... Oh -ha! Jamie staggered into the wall of the passageway and was then knocked to the floor as one of the men in spacesuits bundled past him. It was Callahan, ah, hurling himself through the bulky doorway into the control room. Jamie just saw the man's spacesuits disappear through before the door slammed shut. The passageway trembled and shook as Jamie got unsteadily to his feet. 
He tried the door, lifting the handle, but it wouldn't budge. We're locked in. Jamie turned back to Miles and Goff. Their eyes were wide with fear. Uh, now don't you worry, I'm not going to hurt you. The men ignored him, quickly operating controls on their spacesuits. Visors rose up from the neck of each man's suit, encasing his head in a see-through dome. Uh, you're not thinking of going outside. The passageway shook violently again. Jamie saw the walls twisting under the enormous strain. Look it, it's going to tear this place apart. We've got to get out of here. He tried the door again, throwing all his weight against the handle, but he could not lift it. On the other side of the locked door, the doctor was also struggling with the handle. Zoe tried to help him. Sophie still had her gun pointed at them, but she let them work, while Callahan looked on sheepishly. You've got to get it open, or they don't stand a chance. It's an automated system. It's meant to keep us safe. But, but Jamie and the others... I'm sorry, Doctor. There's nothing I can do. Uh, oh. Jamie was still having no luck with the door. Oh, will you not give me a hand? With their helmets on, Miles and Goff seemed to be able to talk to each other without Jamie being able to hear. Hey, I'm talking to you. They continued their silent conversation. Then they nodded and walked away from Jamie, back up the passageway to the far door. You don't think that one's locked as well? But the men didn't try the door. They stood there impassively, gazing back at Jamie. Miles pressed a control on the wrist of his spacesuit. Now when he spoke, Jamie could hear him. You don't have a suit, said Miles. So stay at the end of the passageway. You might not be affected. Jamie felt a sudden chill. Affected by what? On the far side of the door, the doctor had wedged his shoulder under the door handle but couldn't get it to move. Zoe scrutinised the readings on a panel to one side. These numbers don't make sense, she said. Doctor, look. Zoe, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open the door. So am I, said Zoe. The doctor hauled himself out from under the handle and joined her at the readout. His eyes peeked quickly over the two sets of numbers. One said 18.46.2, and then a number that was slowly increasing, 32, 33, 34. Beneath that was another display, 18.46, it began, just like the one above it. But the numbers after that moved so fast, it was impossible to read them. Uh, They're they're clocks. It's it's quarter to seven in the evening on the top one, but the the bottom one, oh, it's moving at a different speed. Zoe nodded. And that's the readout for the far side of the door. It's in a different time zone. Jamie struggled to understand. You mean, these aren't earthquakes. It's just that we're travelling in time. Now he knew it didn't seem all that different from being in the TARDIS. Ah, well, that's all right then. At the end of the passageway, Miles and Goff clearly didn't think so. They clung to the walls, and Goff had his eyes shut. What do you think's going to happen? The wall between them tore. The air seized as it escaped from the passageway. Thick white foam started to spray around the tear, trying to seal the rupture. But the tear increased, reaching right down the wall. As it spread, something like a, a shadow reached into the passageway. Jamie had his arm up over his mouth 
the alien atmosphere might be poisonous. What is it? It's going in. The two men didn't answer. They pressed themselves up against the far end of the passageway. But the door wouldn't open, and the shadow was slowly reaching up towards them. Quick, get round it while you can. Miles took a chance. He leapt forward, clumsy in his heavy suit. But he made it past the shadow and hurried down the passage to join Jamie. Come on, Goff. You have to take a chance. But Goff was frozen in fear. Come on, man. Goff nodded and started to move. But he'd left it an instant too late. The shadow edged closer and touched him. For a moment, Jamie thought Goff had been caught in a beam of silver light. Then he realised the man himself was turning silver, his hair and beard greying, his skin turning quite pale. Before Jamie's eyes, Goff's entire body turned perfect white, then a loosened grey. There was a hint of a skeleton and a cloud of dust. The empty, ragged spacesuit toppled forward. There's nothing you can do. Uh, there's always something. Now, please, please, I'm, I'm trying to work. Uh, thank you, Zoe. The doctor had pulled apart the two clock displays beside the still locked door. Zoe helped him gouge out the wires, then carefully reattach them to different points. Now the doctor prodded his sonic screwdriver into the mess of cables. This will never work. The doors are locked automatically. Yes, I can't, can't be overruled yet. Yes, your system is quite ingenious. Mm. But then so am I. He tried the handle of the door. Still, it wouldn't open. Zoe stared in horror. What are we going to do, she said. We'll have to start again, Zoe. And quickly. Jamie's depending on us. Jamie and Miles were pressed up against the locked door and each other as the sinister shadow slowly crept along the floor of the passageway towards them. Can you not blast the door with your gun? Miles explained that no, the guns only worked on organic tissues. Besides, firing guns in a pressurised unit was dangerous. Then can you not shoot that thing? Miles looked like he was going to argue, but then he raised the gun. Still, the shadow crept forward. See, said Miles, it's not organic tissue. Ah, well, no harm in trying. There was nothing else they could do. Jamie and Miles watched the shadow edge slowly towards them. It was almost at Jamie's foot. He shuffled backwards, no more than an inch. The shadow came steadily on. And then the door behind them swung suddenly open and Jamie and Miles tumbled backwards through it. Get it shut again, quickly! As Jamie scrambled to his feet, the Doctor and Zoe heaved the door back again. Zoe struggled to force the handle down to lock it into place. Just to be sure, the Doctor pulled the wires from the wall. I don't believe it. You saved them. Hi. I'm in the neck of time. Hey, now we'll never get back to the TARDIS. He looked quickly around, getting his bearings. They were in a narrow control room. Rows of computer workstations lined up in front of another long window, looking out over the planet's surface and the incredible sky. Wait, Goff isn't with you. Hi, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what, what, what happened, Jamie? What did you see? A shadow on the floor. Only it wasn't a shadow. It sort of reached out to him and when it touched him, he just aged to death. Zoe shuddered. It must have been some kind of parasite, she said. Whatever you saw, it's not alive. Shooting it has no effect. Oh, you, you've seen it too? 
We tried to stop it getting Woodbridge. She was our commander. Now I'm the one in charge. Well, well then, uh, what do you think we should do? Sophie studied his face. Jamie could see the same look in her eyes he'd seen so many times on his travels with the Doctor. She was weighing up whether to trust this strange little man who just barged into her life, who offered no explanations and yet might just save their lives. What do you suggest, Doctor? I, I think we should work together, don't you? Sophie smiled. With that agreed, Zoe stepped forward. Do you know what this thing is? She asked the Doctor. I, I think I might, Zoe. You saw the displays by the door. It, it, it showed different times. Then there's out there. He pointed through the window to the alien world and the ruin of the city. Jamie looked for the statues of people in spacesuits, posing, taking a photograph, and at first he couldn't see them. Then there they were, dark shapes against the darkness. The last time he'd seen them, they'd been lit by a flash of their camera. Now there was no flash. Hey, th those statues. I don't think they are statues. No, Jamie, said Zoe. They're more of Sophie's crew. They're just moving more slowly than we are. It's the, uh, <clears throat> it's the extreme gravity of the pulsar. Time moves much slower here, but, but this base is in sync with standard time. So you go out there for what feels like a few minutes, but really it's been weeks. Uh, isn't that right, Sophie? We have a rotor. By the end of our mission, we'll all have done the same number of shifts in and out. We'll all feel as if we spent five years on the base, but more than 18 will have passed. 18 years? But what about your families, y your friends? And now then, Jamie. Everyone we know will have aged almost 20 years those that haven't died. My father was... Well, we said our farewells before I left. But I don't understand. They're pioneers, Jamie. They had to come here to unpick the mystery. The ruins of a city on a planet that shouldn't exist. They had to understand. Or we did it to dodge service in the war. Is that really true? It's what people said. Oh, I never worry about what people say. <clears throat> what have you learnt about the city? It's a level four society, which is more than Johnston predicted. I think there are integrated layers with different social classes. And yet... And yet there's no sign of the people who built it. How did you know? Oh, if you'd found evidence of the people who lived here, that's the first thing you'd have told me. We call them the quiet ones. Despite the city, despite the complex society we can infer from it, there's no material evidence. No artifacts or writing to tell us who they were. Or what happened to them. There's no sign of an exodus or crisis. They're just not here. Hey! Hey, it could have been that shadow thing. I told you it attacked me. I told you it was not an attack. Uh, Jamie, Jamie, being in here, it's like being in the pressurized cabin of a plane. You, you know, you're, you're flying beasties. But with time instead of the air. A, a puncture is disastrous. The time zones will need to equalize somehow so anyone standing too close... Yeah, I, I know what I saw. It reached for us. I, I saw it. Hey, you saw it. He appealed to Miles, who had been in the passageway with him. But Miles shifted uncomfortably and glanced at Sophie. Time plays tricks on our senses. We're not made to perceive temporal incursion. I, I'm sorry, Jamie. I, I want to believe you, but it, uh, it really isn't possible. Zoe looked up from one of the control stations. And yet, she said, it looks like Jamie's right. Come and look at the evidence. 
The Doctor and Sophie joined her at the controls. The display showed a skeleton map of the base, a sort of spider's web of connected units, thin passageways stretching between them. Most of the complex was yellow. Zoe pointed out the yellow oblong on one side of the structure that was the control room in which they were standing. But below where they stood, rooms and passageways were in red, where the time zone had been reached. As they watched, a yellow passageway, a hand span from them, flickered and turned red. It's moving, said Zoe. But look, it couldn't get through the door that the doctor broke, so it's turned back on itself and is trying a different route. They watched the diagram. A room turned red, further over on the structure. Then so did the passageway above it. But that's impossible. Aye, but, but it's still coming this way. Uh, Zoe, what can you do? He smiled kindly at her, clearly already knowing the answer. It took Zoe a moment to work out what he meant. Then she worked quickly, operating controls and flicking switches. The doctor looked on proudly. What are you doing? You'll flood the whole base. It is Zoe knows what she's doing. Uh, <clears throat> you, you do know what you're doing, don't you? Zoe stepped back, satisfied. Go on then, what have you done? Zoe beamed. It's simple, really. Whatever it is, it's breaching the internal time zone, turning the rooms and passageways back to external time. So I've increased the temporal difference in the sections just ahead of it. It's like increasing the pressure it has to work against. But the base doesn't work like that. You can't slow time in specific rooms. Of course you can. Sounds the reason. I mean, <clears throat> if that's what Zoe has done, then it must be possible. We'll know soon enough. On the screen, another passageway turned red. There were three yellow rooms connected to it. But they didn't change. The doctor clapped his hands. Oh, oh well done, Zoe. You've stopped it. Well, <clears throat> well, that was exciting, wasn't it? But uh, <clears throat> I think we're safe now. No, look! One of the yellow rooms on the screen flickered and it turned red. Zoe hurried back to the controls and now the doctor helped her. But as Jamie watched the screen... The yellow passageway above the red room flickered and turned red. Th th that's just outside here. We have to barricade the door. Miles, Callahan. That, that won't do any good. We have to keep away. I'm not going to just wait for it to get us. No, no of course not. But we have to think. This thing is intelligent. One touch and we age to death. It must be what it did for the people of your city. That's why the quiet ones disappeared. If we could talk to it... Doctor, if the quiet ones couldn't negotiate... Oh, I'm sure. Much smarter than they were. That's why we're going to run. Oh, all right. But we're not dead yet. What are we going to do? I, I don't know, Jamie, but I, I'm sure I'll think of something. He looked up at the closed door right in front of him. The one that was red on the screen. Whatever the invisible force was, it had arrived. How long will it take to get through that door? Not long. We need to go. Where can we retreat? What's the most defendable part of your base? Where we're standing now. We're a survey mission, Doctor. We weren't expecting to fight. No, no, of course not. And good for you, being so optimistic. But that rather narrows our options. Hey, 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 Doctor. If there were spare spacesuits, we could get outside. That thing's not gone for people out there. It's not gone for them yet. We'd be totally exposed. The suits only have power for eight hours. Relative. The door shifted, a kink running down the otherwise smooth surface. That's still better than we'll do by standing here. And we can't get back to the TARDIS, uh, not my ship, because it's on the wrong side of all those red passageways. We can't do anything else. And when you've ruled out everything else... Okay, follow me. 
Sophie led them to another bulky door, which had a keypad beside it. She quickly tapped in a code and the screen asked her if she really wanted to override the rotor. She tapped a key to say yes. They went in, Jamie, Callahan and Miles hanging back to let the women and the doctor go first. Behind them, the other door slowly walked more out of shape. Any moment now, the invisible time creature would get through. Jamie followed the others and slammed the door behind him. They were in a bright white room with a bench running down the centre. A huge round door with a small window in it looked out onto the rocky planet's surface. Around them, spacesuits hung from hooks on the walls. The Doctor and Zoe were already pulling on bulky space trousers. Hey, come quickly, Jamie. No time to lose. The spacesuits might have been futuristic and loaded with all kinds of gadgets, but they were simple to put on. The trousers were loose around Jamie's waist, but Miles showed him the tab that made them tighter. Then he helped Jamie wriggle into the heavy top part of the suit. Well, at least we won't die of cold. You could roast a hen in these things. Miles grinned at him and deftly moved around him, checking the suit was properly fitted together. He pressed a button on Jamie's wrist, and a visor rose up around Jamie's head. Wait, wait. Uh, how do I make it so you can hear me? It's, it's all right, Jamie. Uh, we can hear you loud and clear. Now, <clears throat> just speak and breathe normally. I'm afraid these things can get a bit claustrophobic. Now, <clears throat> Is everyone ready to go? Zoe had joined Sophie at the door leading outside. They were looking at the controls with the same mix of horror. What is it? What's wrong? A failsafe. So we can't lock ourselves out of the base. So we can't open the door? Then how does anyone get outside? We can't open the door from in here. Someone has to do it from the control room. All right. Not to be quick, though. Those things aren't... You out. don't understand. You can't get into this room while the outside door is open. So, whoever goes back to let the rest of us go, there's no way they'd get out. You mean, one of us has to give themselves up? Zoe began prodding the keypad by the door. I could probably get round it, she said, if only I had more time. Jamie nodded grimly. Right, uh, well, we're not drawing lots. No one's getting left behind. We'll just have to think of something else. Is that right, Doctor? He turned to the Doctor. But the Doctor wasn't there. He was disappearing back through the door they'd come in by. D doctor, wait! Jamie and Zoe both ran over and tried to lift the handle. Doctor! called Zoe. Doctor, please! It's all right, Zoe. I, I know what I'm doing. This is the only way. They turned to see the outside door opening gently inwards, exposing them to the desolate alien terrain. The pattern of magnetic lines burned brightly in the sky. At the heart of the pattern was the tiny star, throbbing like a heartbeat. Otherwise, all else was perfectly eerily still. Now, no, please, go, go don't dawdle. But, Doctor, we can't just leave you. Yes, you can. You must. But, but Doctor, called Zoe, what about you? I'll, I'll just have to slip around this whatever it is and, and find another way out. I'll head back to the TARDIS and turn on the hats. That's the hostile action displacement system. If the TARDIS is attacked and the hats are switched on, she just uh, moves somewhere nearby. 
so the moment this shadow thing catches me up, I'll, I'll just uh, move outside the base, where I can pick you up. But Doctor, how will you get past that thing? Uh, well, with a bit of luck, it will think I'm still with you. So, so get a move on. The quicker you go, the, the better it is for all of us. Doctor, we're not going to leave you. There was no answer. Zoe started to work the controls beside the internal door. That won't work. You can't get the inner door open until the outer door is closed. Zoe snapped at her. We opened that other door and you said that was impossible. I only need a little more time. He's buying us this chance. You're throwing it away. We, we've got to help the doctor. That thing is almost through the door. If we go back in there, we'll all be killed. But if we escape now, that thing might think we all got out. So the doctor might sneak past it. So we've got to do what he says. That is how we help him. Jamie wasn't sure what to say. He turned to Zoe. She nodded calmly, accepting the logic of what Sophie had said. Jamie was appalled. You can't go along with it. We can't leave the doctor. Through the glass of their space helmets, he could see Zoe's eyes were misty with tears. But she's right, Jamie. That thing will be after us any moment. The doctor wanted it this way. She took Jamie's hand let him out onto the planet's surface. The Doctor watched on a screen as Jamie, Zoe, Miles, Callahan and Sophie made their way outside. They took a few steps forward and froze, which meant, the Doctor realised, that the temporal field that kept the base in a different time zone from the planet extended just beyond the airlock. They were in the planet's time zone now. He worked the controls, closing the door of the airlock and adjusting the time zone around it. That would, he hoped, slowly whatever it was as it tried to chase after his friends. He looked up at the door right ahead of him. The metal was bent and twisted. Perhaps it was the way the light caught the door, but the damage could almost have been made by claw marks. Whatever was behind it was slowly pushing the whole door out of its frame. There was no time to lose. First. The doctor had to make sure that the, whatever it was, headed to the airlock. That would keep it busy long enough for him and his friends to get away. So he flicked a switch and opened the inner door. Was that going to be enough to send it that way? What else could he do? He hurried out from behind the control deck and made his way back to the first door, the one that had locked out poor Jamie. The wires hung limply from the side panel where the doctor had pulled them out. Now he needed the door to open. Oh, oh dear, I, I should have thought of that. He examined the wires, trying to remember how they'd been connected. It would be through at any moment. Come on, Doctor, come on. This should be child's play. He connected a wire and... Ah! Ah! It burnt the tips of his fingers. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh my giddy aunt. In frustration, he smacked the controls with the palm of his hand. The doctor dashed through, and as he did, the other door was smashed right out of its frame, though whatever it was had broken through. The doctor froze in the passageway, pressing himself up against the metal wall. He reached a hand back for the controls to close his door, but the keypad was on the opposite side of the frame. If he moved over to it, then whatever it was would see him. He waited, listening keenly. There was no sound from the control room. Was it heading to the airlock, or was it heading his way? Very carefully, he took a step down the passage away from the control room. He waited, listening. 
but couldn't hear a sound. Jamie had said the thing was like a shadow. Would it make a noise at all? He kept on down the passageway, taking each step with care. He reached the bulky door and lifted the handle. He dared to glance back the way he'd come. There was no trace of any shadow. He stepped through and then gently closed the door after him. He was in the observation room where he'd first met Sophie and the others. Now, the doctor knew he shouldn't linger, that the whatever it was might follow him at any moment, but he couldn't resist such a view of the incredible sky. He took a step closer, and that's when he saw it. A small white oblong, a a piece of paper stuck to the observation window. But there was something strange about it. First, it hadn't been there before when the doctor had been in the observation room with Jamie and Zoe. Secondly, it was slightly fizzing, like an image on a TV screen. The paper was about the size of his hand. It floated just an inch inside the window. The doctor could almost see through it. He reached a hand out and his fingers swept easily through the image, as if there was nothing there. Curiouser and curiouser. He glanced back to the door to check the shadow hadn't followed him, and when he turned back to the paper, there were dark impressions all over it. Words were starting to form. The doctor stared in astonishment as he started to understand. Oh, oh no, oh no, this won't do. You you know you're breaking all the laws of time. He looked quickly back round at the door leading back to the control room. He waited, listening, but the whatever it was didn't seem to have heard him. You see? See what you almost made me do? So, what do you think you're playing at, hmm? The paper didn't answer. The words written on it were now pretty much legible. Oh, our handwriting hasn't improved. I am right, aren't I? You are me, sending me notes from the future. How are you doing it, if I might ask? Some kind of psychic paper? Hmm, very ingenious. He reached his fingers out again to brush them through the image of the paper. And just for an instant, he saw a young man, his fringe hanging over one eye. His face was long and angular. His eyes glittered with intelligence and mischief. He wore a rather fetching bow tie. Just as suddenly, the young man was gone, and the doctor was left staring at his own reflection in the glass. But yes, there was no doubt about it now. He'd felt the psychic connection was the man he'd one day be, who had somehow found a way to reach back to him like this, which could only mean it was important. Oh, very well, then see what you've got to say for yourself. His brow furrowed as he scrutinised the fizzing image of the paper. The fizz didn't help him read the words written there in his own spidery hand. Hello, Doctor. Hope you're well. Sorry to catch you at a bad time. That The shadow is right behind you and you have to escape but you also need to make sure you don't leave Sophie's research behind trust me it's it's vital to the future you'll thank me in the end but it means you have to go back to the control room sorry love the doctor the doctor stared in horror at the paper as if his expression might affect the words written there but that's, that, that's ridiculous. I, I don't stand a chance. And if I don't stand a chance, then you'll never exist either. Then he noticed the writing at the bottom of the page, in small letters, squeezed into the small space. P.S. I know what I'm doing. But that's, 
That's what I always say when I don't know what I'm doing. The paper started to fade. Now the doctor could barely make out the writing. Then the page was utterly gone, and he was staring at his own horrified reflection in the glass of the observation window. He had no doubt that the message was genuine. He'd felt the psychic connection, and besides, it was just in his own style. And he had no doubt that the future doctor was right when he said it was important to rescue Sophie's research. Everything her team had learned about the Quiet Ones and their civilization must be stored on the workstations. And if it was lost now, the Quiet Ones might remain a mystery forever. The thought of that, of not knowing... Oh, oh dear, oh dear, I, I should have said something to me sooner. On one side of the observation room was the door that led back to the TARDIS and safety. On the other was the door back into the control room. Between the two doors was the wide window looking out on the incredible sky. The doctor gazed at the ruin of the city out there. Did it matter if they never knew who'd built it, lived there, then vanished with so little trace? Oh, oh doctor, you wouldn't sleep at night if, if we never knew. Oh, oh crumbs. He made his way slowly back to the door of the control room, dragging his feet like a sulky child, as if he could put off the inevitable. He put his hand on the door handle and waited, listening. He couldn't hear anything from the other side of the door. The passageway ahead and the control room beyond seemed utterly still. His footsteps sounded awfully loud to himself as he made his way cautiously up the passageway. He stopped at the open door at the end and again listened. There was no sound from the control room other than the soft hum of the computers. He edged forward to look round the side of the doorway. The control room looked just as it had done before, except for the twisted metal door lying against one of the workstations where it had been smashed from its frame. There were no shadows on the floor. The doctor looked over at the airlock door. The inner door was open, just as he'd left it. Nothing had been disturbed. He waited, watching and listening. The nearest computer workstation was tantalisingly close. He took a deep breath and hurried over to it. Luckily, Sophie and her crew had been meticulous in filing their data. It was all in one place, ready for copying. The doctor looked around the workstation and found a small chip card. He inserted it into an available slot, then typed an instruction to start copying the files across. The screen showed a simple graphic of files moving from one folder to another. It also gave an estimate of the time it would take to complete. 12 minutes and 44 seconds. 43 seconds. 42. 41. The doctor glanced around. Should he duck down and hide or take shelter again in the passageway? Was it better to wait and hope the transfer would be quicker than predicted? Then he noticed it. The mark on the floor. An uneven patch like something had been spilt, except the spillmar was moving, very slowly towards him. The doctor took a step away from the mark on the floor and away from the workstation. The files were still copying, with ten minutes left to go. If he escaped now, would he ever get back again? The mark was getting closer. Then it stopped. He stood there watching it. Its nearest edge was by the next workstation, but it wasn't coming any nearer. Now, isn't that interesting? You're, you're wary of me, aren't you? Because you know I'm different from the others. I have a different relationship to time. 
The mark on the floor didn't move or show any sign that it heard or understood him. So the doctor took a small step towards it, and the mark on the floor retreated. The doctor beamed. Oh, yes, you are a clever thing, aren't you? And if you're clever, you can see reason. So it's just a question of how we uh, <clears throat> communicate. He took another step forward. This time, the mark didn't retreat. It didn't come forward either. It remained where it was, a step away from his feet. The doctor glanced back at the workstation screen. There were still eight minutes left of transfer. How long could he stall the whatever it was? He turned back and watched it moving towards him, like a stain spreading across the floor. He instinctively stepped back, and the thing moved faster than he did. He just had time to see it touch the edge of his shoe. For a moment, the doctor thought the workstation must have exploded, but he didn't feel any heat or pain. He looked round, and the control room seemed fine. The light just seemed different. There was something almost dreamlike about the silvery haze. And there were also spindly, amorphous beings stood in front of him. Ah, hello, yeah, yes, I, I thought there was more to you than met the eye. You, you've been trying to speak to us, haven't you? you trying to bridge the gap between the time zones we move in because you had something to say. Yes, well, <clears throat> Earth people are, are fragile and don't survive the temporal shock. But I'd be, um, I'd be happy to pass on a message. The amorphous beings glowed with silver light. One came forward. And as it looked down on him, the doctor saw through the upper veil of its skin to the eyes inside. They burnt with terrible fury. A message, roared the creature, lunging towards him. For what you've done, we'll destroy you all. Out on the planet's surface, Jamie and the others had lost all contact with the base. All they could do was keep going across the arid surface of the planet and catch up with the team already out there, the ones Jamie and Zoe had fought with statues. It was slow going, moving in eerie silence. The spacesuits were heavy to walk in and the dust was thick and stuck fast to their feet. More than once, Jamie thought he might topple over and he knew he'd need the others to help him back up again. He tried to concentrate on every new step, but it wasn't easy under such an incredible sky and with the terrible thought of what might have happened to the Doctor. He glanced back towards the base. Still no sign of him. Zoe looked too, and let out a gasp of horror. Look, she said, there's something on the ground, coming from the base. There was. It could have been a shadow, except it was moving, like a stain spreading over the ground. It was coming straight after them. We have to run. Sophie, Callahan, and Miles ran. But they were used to wearing spacesuits. Hey, hey, at least take Zoe with you. I'll try and draw it off. Zoe protested, but Jim ignored her, veering off in a different direction across the dust. He was clearly the slowest of them all, so the stain would surely come after him. Go, Zoe, go on, go! He could hear her crying, her voice loud and close up because of the radio, despite his getting further and further away. Come on, Zoe, he's given you a chance. Jamie kept on, desperate not to fall, not to make it too easy. He glanced back and the stain was coming towards him. No, with a start. He realised it was branching off. One thin tendril was coming for him. The main body of the stain was heading after his friends. Oh, hey, now, that's not fair. The tendril was still moving towards him. It crept quickly over the dust of his footprints. So fast, it was almost like a stream. 
Jamie wouldn't wait for it to get to him. He'd fight to the end. So, he turned, hurried on and smacked straight into another figure in a spacesuit. Oh, what the... Doctor! Yes, hello, Jamie. You should watch where you're going. That thing, it's behind me. It is, but it's, it's, it's all right. I made friends with it, with them. What? But it killed all those people. And what it did to the city. It wiped out the, what do you call them? The, the quiet ones. No, no, Jamie, I, I was wrong about that. You see, they are the quiet ones. And that's a good name because they're, they're very sensitive to sound. That's why they were trying to reach out to Sophie's people. They were rather angry, but I think more from frustration that we couldn't hear them. They've been trying to communicate? They've been trying to ask you to uh, keep the noise down. They made their way back to the base where, once they were out of their spacesuits, the doctor explained. The Quiet Ones had lived on what was called a rogue planet, one that didn't circle a star but moved freely through space. They'd developed technologies to capture starlight to power their great city. But then their planet had been caught by the gravity of the pulsar and forced into a close orbit. It had threatened to make them extinct. So, they used their knowledge and science and converted themselves into pure energy, so they would survive. Oh, you mean like the Cybermen? No, 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 Jamie, not like the Cybermen. Uh, yeah, yes, well, I, I suppose a bit. But they killed my people. Well, they didn't mean to, but you were crashing around on their world, causing them terrible pain. I, I know that doesn't make it right, but you came here to learn about the people who built the city, and now they'll answer your questions. The Doctor had agreed a truce and Sophie's team could stay on to study the Quiet Ones and their city, if they promised to do it more quietly. You seem to have modified our instruments and systems so they make less noise. Well, you can type messages to the Quiet Ones and they'll be able to answer, though uh, it might take months to get a reply. I, I didn't think you'd mind. Your research is very important. Hey, and you repaired all the doors and walls. Your invisible friends must have helped. They're not invisible, Jamie. They just move at a speed you can't see. Oh, oh I, of course. Uh, hey, hey, how did you know they wouldn't aid you like the others? Yes, well, I, uh, I didn't know, Jamie. Oh, no, 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 I don't look like that. I, I wasn't being brave. I, I planned to do just what I told you. Sneak round the shadows and get back to the TARDIS. But, well, it, it's a good job for all of us that I didn't make it. Imagine how different things might have been. All our research would have been lost. And if I'd not reported in, HQ would have put the planet under quarantine. No one would ever have come here. That seems a pity when there's so much to learn here. Who knows where it might lead? He sat back in his seat, a strange smile on his face, as if there was more than he was letting on. Jamie turned to Zoe, who only shrugged. They watched as Sophie and the other members of the crew clustered round the workstation and started to read the first message from the civilization that they thought long dead. But this is amazing. You see, I'd said they'd had a class structure. But look, Johnston was wrong. Oh, this is going to change everything. The doctor nodded at his friends. It was time to slip away. He led Jamie and Zoe back down the passageways to where the TARDIS waited and fussed in his pockets for the key. But, but, Doctor, said Zoe, time moved slower outside, so we were out there for what felt like minutes. Oh, don't worry about that, Zoe. And when the quiet ones touch anyone else, they age to death in an instant. Yes, but I'm not quite like anyone else. Time means something different to me. 
but even Jamie could see he wasn't telling them everything. There was something about him too. The weary look in his eyes. The lines in that familiar, careworn face. Doctor, we were out there for a few minutes. How long was it for you? Well, if you must know, it was a few years. Years? Well, that's how I had time to fix everything up so that Sophie and her friends could continue their work safely. It took a lot of experimenting before we could be sure. And we, we, we had to be. What they learn here is going to be very important in the future. Trust me, I, I know what I'm doing. They gaped at him. He sighed. Look, let's not go into it now. It's already been a very long day. And he led them into the TARDIS. Doctor Who, Shadow of Death by Simon Gurrier, was read by Fraser Hines with Evie Dornay, and is a big finished production for Audio Go.